All right, so this is the second, uh, not quite inaugural anymore. Now we are the second official podcast for the 501st. This is Light the Way. We started this about two weeks ago. Uh, we had uh, our very first friend of the podcast, that's Lieutenant Colonel Beth Huddles, on with us. And then uh, we're following her up, or she is followed up by Lieutenant new Lieutenant Colonel Duncan, who is here on the show with us. He's our second friend of the podcast. So uh, I think what people are really looking for is to know a little bit about you. Who is Lieutenant Colonel Jay Duncan? So, um, well, I'm glad to be here, first of all. I'm glad that um, you made time in your schedule to uh, accommodate me. And, um, yeah, just glad to be here to to experience this here with you. Um, so I was born in Tampa, Florida, uh, 1982. Yeah, so I'm an 80s baby, through and through. Um we moved to Fayetteville, North Carolina when I was 12. Uh, so I consider Fayetteville as my hometown from elementary to college, same city. Um, and if you know anything about Fayetteville, it's the all-American city. Fayetteville is uh, during World uh, Vietnam. They had representation from every state in the United States um, that flew out of Fort Bragg. So they consider Fayetteville as the all-American city. Oh, okay, cool, cool, very cool. Yeah, so they had representation from every state during uh, the Vietnam War, so uh, they deemed it the uh, all-American city, and um, there's no surprise that I'm wearing a uniform. Uh, when you grow up in Fayetteville, Fort Bragg area, I mean, it's this strong sense of patriotism. Um, it's just people are almost grown and, you know, to their from their adolescence years to their adult years to, to serve in some capacity whether it's educators, whether it's law enforcement, but uh, a strong number, <laughs> you know, high percentage go into the military. Yeah, very cool. I mean, um, what a fantastic opportunity to be, you know, close to the military as a child and a young adult, you know. Uh, so did you uh, go to the Air Force Academy or through ROTC or uh, what was what was your path to where you are today? So the path to <laughs> lieutenant colonel, right? Um, it's 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 interesting. So my senior year, I actually enlisted in the army. I uh, had a few college scholarships, and uh, my mother and stepfather decided to go through a divorce. Okay. So, just being the family type of guy, I was like, you know what? What's going to get me here? You know, keep me in the city where I can make some money, help out my mother. So Fort Bragg being that store. Like, hell, I'll just join the military, get stationed at Fort Bragg, and I can help out at home, plus, you know, bring in some sort of income. Yeah, and as we know, the military always sends you where you want to go and not where you need to be, yeah. You know, when you're 17 years old, it sounds great, because I was entering my senior year of college, and uh, I mean, high school, and uh, it just seemed like a, a very promising idea. Okay, well, I mean, it, it clearly has turned out to be one. <laughs> so, um, I was part of this program called Educational Talent Search. It was at the local university, Fayetteville State. Okay. And the uh, the director of the program, right after I swore in the first time at MEPS, I went over and told her what I did. I said, like, hey, I'm going to join the military. I'm going to be a 91-kilo medical lab tech for the Army. Very cool. And I know I'm going to get stationed at Fort Bragg. Right. So she looked me up and down. She was like, absolutely not. <laughs> that, is, that is not going to happen. Your grades are too solid. Um, if you really want to help out, there's other opportunities here on the campus right. of Fayetteville State. Now, I remember Jay Rossi when I was in high school. 
high school. Right. Did it for like a semester. It really wasn't for me. Uh, personality differences. So, um, like, uh, she she pitched the idea of ROTC in college. And all I could not erase the J-ROTC. Really? Yeah. I, I couldn't get it out of my head. But she said it was money. So my whole purpose of joining was to acquire funds to help out my mother. So I'm like, money? Okay, great. And I had a full-ride scholarship, an academic scholarship, Fayetteville State already. I had already been accepted. So going from that, um, I was like, well, how do I get out of this uh, swearing-in thing? My stepfather, even though my mother and him was going through a divorce, he was a recruiter. Ah, okay. <laughs> so he gave me the... The inside that's scoop. Exactly, the inside scoop. It's like, hey, you only swore once. It's like it's not official until you swear and get on the bus. So just go tell your recruiter that you're not showing up. And that began my um, my uh, ROTC career. Okay. And so were you Air Force ROTC? Air Force, Air ROTC. Force ROTC. Yeah, so, um, you know, I I can respect the commander, the Air Force, the, 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 the ROTC deck commander at the time. Because his pitch was just so solid. He was like, hey, look, I don't have any money for you today. Huh. He was like, but I got three things I need for you to do. I need you to pass a written test, AFOQT. I need you to go out here and show me you can run, pass your PT test, and then keep your grades solid. And if you pass a medical physical, too, he's like, I'll have some money for you. Okay, nice. So it was just like a, it's a checklist. You know, yeah. he, he, he put it in layman's terms. And I was like, all right, pass a QT. It's like, wow, well, okay. Pass a PT test. Wow, that's... Pretty cool. Um, I was healthy, and GPA was solid. And man, as were he actually gave me, you know, more scholarship money, and I was getting a monthly stipend. Awesome. Um, so I was super excited. So um, that happened, and um, but I was playing college football too. So okay. I was still kind of yeah. on the fence on whether or not I wanted to do ROTC, you know, long term, or whether or not I was gonna, you know, make a career out of it. And then, um, you know, I was walking to my freshman class on September 11th, 2001, uh, um, and I remember seeing on TV the second plane hit the tower. So again, Fort Bragg having its capabilities, traffic was backed up all the way to our university, you know, pass, because right. they locked down Fort Bragg. So everyone was recalled, but they locked down the base. So traffic was backed up. I mean, they were in traffic for hours because they had to report. Right. Um, and something just didn't feel right. You know, this this wasn't a one-off. Um, and if you were of age during that time, um, it was just that gut feeling that, wow, we've been attacked. And you can't think of a time in, you know, in modern history where the nation was under attack. Right, exactly. Um, so being a freshman, a bunch of us were like, we want to go serve. You know, someone attacked our country. We're super patriotic. We're from Fayetteville. We got to serve our country. And that's like getting in the class. Like you're not serving yet. Like you will serve. Mm -hmm. um, but it's going to be a few years before you get out there to do it. Um, and which was true. Um, but that was my motivation. You know, one is because I, I didn't really understand what all entailed with being an officer. I didn't know many of them. Right. You know, I knew my commander, but that was pretty much it. Uh, where I'm from, uh, again, when you see, you know, African-Americans wearing a the uniform, they always have stripes. And they were all enlisted. I, I didn't know any black officers, I can tell you that now. So going through this program to become an officer, like, I couldn't conceptualize what it would be to be a lieutenant. Really? 
yeah, so it was, it, was, it was weird going through three and a half years of Razi and trying to put that in perspective, like, what is it really to be a, you know, an African-American officer? Um, but got through the program, you know, I was a biology major, pre-med, and, you know, on, on my birthday, December 10th, 2004, I actually commissioned, so. Oh, nice, that's yeah. a heck of a birthday present I'm right telling there, you, yeah. 22nd, I got a, a turned 22 years old, and, uh. Had a job, so that was that was pretty awesome. Yeah, fantastic. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you brought up a really interesting point, which was that uh, while you're going through ROTC, there you felt like there weren't really any diverse role models. Mm -hmm. uh, it seems like for you, yeah. uh, and and I think that's something that is on the minds of a lot of people in the Air Force right now, particularly yeah. at the highest echelons. Uh, you know, presenting uh, the diverse face of America in the uh, the wrapping of the uniform, I guess, you know, because we do have a lot of diversity in the military, yeah. um, but sometimes uh, people don't necessarily see that. Uh, what has your experience been like coming through the military as far as, uh, you know, uh, like diversity of opinions, diversity of backgrounds? Yeah, so I guess look, let's look at it from a, a numbers game. So if you look at officers, period, um, there's about 66,000 officers on any given day in the um, that serve in active-duty Air Force. Um, yeah, so there's about 66,000 uh, active-duty officers. Of those 66,000, 50,000 are white. Those are just facts. So that leaves 16,000 of all others. Right. Um, which isn't really reflective of America, really. Absolutely not. So it makes you question. And, uh, I mean, it was it was huge during um, when General Welsh was leaving and General Goldfein. And we had, we had a uh, D&I policy that kind of came out on air staff that really targeted these issues. Like, where are we getting it wrong? I remember sitting in the offices with uh, General Grosso, General Kelly, who's the former A1 and now the new A1, and talking about this is that topic, you know, how do you get in front of it? You mm -hmm. know, how is our officer corps not really reflective of the popul the American population? Mm -hmm. um, you know, blacks and African-Americans in the um, in the Air Force are about 13% of the national population, but there's less than 4,000, you know, African-American officers. Yeah. So where are we missing a mark? And... Um, I don't, I don't think it's that we're really missing the mark. It's how do you paint that vision of an opportunity for African-Americans who are coming up through the college ranks right. to say, hey, service a country is something I want to do. Yeah, and I mean, I think you touched on something earlier talking about role models. Mm -hmm. You know, if they don't have the opportunity to see someone, it's hard to visualize yourself doing the same thing. You nailed it right on the head. I mean, having a, a proper vision board is... Is, is critical. So um, it's hard for me to want to be something I've never seen. Right. Um, yeah. Like if I don't know any doctors, if I can't conceptualize or see myself in a white coat walking through the halls with some stethoscope around my neck going to see patients, how can I aspire to want to do that? Mm -hmm. um, I have to be able to identify with this. So again, you know, rewind it back to my, um, my upbringing, sure, Serving in the military was always an option, but in officer capacity, I just didn't see it uh, because, again, the majority of uh, African-Americans I knew wore stripes, and that's just a, a hard fact. Um, but I guess once I commissioned, my first base was 
and McGee Tyson. It was it was guard base. Uh, they were putting out to duty on guard bases, which was different. I mean, it's kind of unique. But um, having such a small base, you didn't run into the diversity issue. Mm-hmm. Um, there was kind of a balance because it was so tiny. It wasn't a high population. Yeah. Um, when I got to Scott Air Force Base is when you started to see the, 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 the shred out where the numbers really made a difference. Yeah. Um, larger base, larger mission, but the, um, yeah, <laughs> it, it wasn't very diverse. Mm-hmm. And it's no, it's no swipe against the Air Force. It's just that is our, that is our fact. Right. Um, so we can fast forward time, because I can walk you all the way through my career, but we can fast forward time to here. Right. So when you look at the, um, you know, the five hundred first combat support wing, you know, how many, how many African American officers do you have throughout the entire wing? Three. Okay. Yeah. You know, how many of our commanders? You're looking at them. <laughs> Glad to be here. Um, and 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 again, it's 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 just a fact that we live. It's it's a truth that we truly live. Mm-hmm. Um, now, does that mean that there's not any, you know, competence or confidence in others? Um, is it just kind of luck of the draw? No, it's just, it's the Air Force. It's got 3,900 total officers who happen to be African Americans. I mean, right. and then you have 3,900 Asians as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's, it's just the numbers are going to play out the way they are. But then you talk about, you know, let's look at diversity when it comes to gender. You know, when, what, 70, um, I should have the numbers. Yeah, it's like 78% that happen to be male and then another. Yeah, much lower amount of uh, female officers. Less than yeah. a, so. I mean, and we know that the actual demographics are basically 50-50, yes. you know, and the, the actual population. So it's, how do you get in front of this? You know, and I, I spent a lot of time thinking about it. Because I, w- I would love to see more of a reflection of the U- United States truly in the officer corps. And I can only speak from the officer corps um, because it's, it's, it's what I live. Um, but how do, you, how do we get to the point where we're creeping towards increasing parity across? That's a reflection of the United States. Right. And I think it starts at more of the grassroots level. You know, getting the word out. Uh, there used to be strong campaigns of, you know, you know, the aim high, you see a diverse background. Um, I know recently they, they're they doing a strong push of women in aviation. Oh, okay, uh, yeah. There's been a lot of PA work that the Air Force has been investing in uh, with really pushing that, that, that portrait of women in aviation. I mean, right. you saw the, um, during Captain Marvel, you That's s- right. Yeah, there was a real big push. Yeah, you that. saw the PA push where you saw the the women aviators, which is awesome, awesome. But um, I had a friend who pointed out, well, let's take it a, a step further within that that minority um, class, and then, well, how many African American and Asian and Hispanic aviator female yeah. aviators do you have? And those numbers are dismal. <laughs> those numbers are dismal. I mean, we're still getting the first you know, African-American fighter pilot or, you know, commander. Like, we're still getting the first at, how long has the Air Force been around? Yeah. So it's, how are we getting in front of that that, that narrative? So it's great that we're increasing our number in aviation. 
or yeah, women in aviation. Right. But how are we taking that second step and saying, hey, are we balancing that demographic? Are we recruiting from just a simple source? Or are we really pushing that image out to those who, who may not see it as an opportunity? Right. And, you know, uh, actually General Goldfein said something along those lines recently where he's talking about blind spots. Yep. You know, uh, the blind spots that, you know, uh, sometimes we have as, as leaders, you know, where we don't necessarily recognize what's happening to or, you know, how uh, different people in our units may react to stuff and things like that. But also, I mean, I think really you brought up a good point, which is that uh, there are a lot of civilians out there who might really do very well in the military, but have a blind spot where they don't see themselves in that position. And mm -hmm. you I mean, I think you have a, a fantastic point. How do we get in front of that? So, it's, again, it's a, it's a challenging task. And, then of course, I'm going to go off on the antidote, but I was a ROTC instructor at Fayetteville State um, during my cabinet years, early cabinet years. And um, I used to drive around campus because I wanted to increase our enrollment in the program. I used to drive around and just stop people. Hey, what are you doing? What are you majoring in? Have you ever thought about Air Force ROTC? All right. And they'll come over and they'll talk to me and I'll get phone calls from parents all the time. Mm -hmm. Like, what are you doing? Why are you trying to recruit my son, my daughter? <laughs> you know, they're in college. They're going to college. Yeah. And at first, you know, I used to get a little frustrated. Like, oh, my God, why, why are these parents calling me? But I realized what I was, I was facing an uphill battle. Because you're talking, in some cases, first-generation college. Right. These are the first individuals who are going to college. So... Again, like when I was growing up, when I didn't have that vision of what it was to be an officer, I'm thinking that, hey, someone just go in the list. You go talk to a recruiter, you enlist, you go into the military. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that vision wasn't painted to the parents. They're thinking that they're about to be a grunt. They're getting pulled out of college and they're just going to go. And it wasn't that, no, you're going you're going into professional arms. Yes. Where you're going to do more of a, you know, in a leadership capacity. 